Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you all here. I love seeing the, the, the families in worship. What a blessing it is. And, um, you know, we're having a great year this year. Um, I, I wish we could uh, turn the heat down just a little bit. But uh, other than that, uh, we're having a great year. Um, but it ain't over yet. And um, just by way of information for you, you know, um, this year we've done a lot of different things. We've given to a lot of different uh, causes. Um, and I want you to understand something right now, that we're down a little bit on our giving. And um, I just want to be uh, truthful and honest about that. We're down on our giving. Um, this month we added a, a staff member. And um, so if, if you love this church, I want you to just give and support the ministries of this church. And uh, some of that just means going into the general fund. And yeah, it, it pays for the lights. It pays for the air conditioning. It pays for the stuff that, that, you know, it's a lot more fun to give to missions. It's a lot more fun to give to special offerings. But uh, this church needs your love each and every week. And so uh, that said, um, you know, uh, we've got a couple more uh, yearly offerings that we like to do. One for state missions, one for international missions. So uh, those are coming this year as well. So just, you know, um, if you want to give, we want you to give. And, uh, you know, God is doing a great work right here in this place. And um, this morning I'm going to be coming at you from uh, Romans 12 and uh, 12 verse 3. And we're going to be talking about humility, uh, true humility. You know, in, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about um, two men. One of them is a Pharisee and one of them is a tax collector. And uh, both of them went to the temple to pray. And uh, Jesus said to the Pharisee, uh, who was known for his proficiency, his religious proficiency, and he prayed about himself. And he said this, he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all that I get, and meanwhile the, the tax collector, he, he stood at a distance and he would not even raise his, his eyes, you know, to, to, to look up to heaven, but, but he beat on his, 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 his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus told us that the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home right with God. He wanted us to see the importance of humility and the danger of spiritual arrogance. And as we turn to Romans 12... Verse 3, Paul shows a very similar concern, and I just want to give you just a little bit of context of Paul's words. As we come to Romans 12, we're confronted with a word of application. See, in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has laid out what a Christian believes as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 12 through 16, we learn how that belief should change us, how it should transform us, how it should impact our life. 
And, and you know, in the, in the very first verse of chapter 12, um, we're told that we should be willing to serve the Lord and we should be willing to give ourselves unreservedly to him after all that he has done for us. Then in verse 2, we're warned against, we're warned to resist the thinking like the rest of the world has and, and, and choose instead to be transformed in the way that we think. And, and so three times in Romans chapter 11, Paul warned against pride, against having pride. And, and you know, he brings it up again here in, in verse 3, and he will mention it again indirectly in, in verse 10. And then he mentions it again directly in, in verse 16. And, and so as we move uh, into verse 3, Paul points that one of the areas that we need to adjust our thinking is in regard to humility. And we need to think properly about ourselves. And so Paul writes this in, in, in verse 3 of chapter 12. He says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I pray that even now your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that you would give us a, a spirit of, of humility Father, not only to receive your word, Father, but, but that we would be able to walk in that humility. I pray if also, Father, for a spirit of repentance. Father, knowing that we fall short, knowing that, that we need your grace and your mercy every day. So, Father, guide us as we study your word. Father, help us to be the people that you call us to be. And I pray that you would do that by your power and for your honor. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. You know, he uses these, these terms here. He says, for everyone I say to you, everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. And you know, we think about to think more highly than we ought to think. We've seen people who are puffed up with arrogance. We've seen people who were overconfident. And, and really, you know, this idea here is to overthink. <laughs> I mean, I tend to be somebody who is a muller. I like to think things over. But I, and, and I will admit that there have been many times where I've overthought things, you know. You just keep playing it up in your mind and you're wondering what's going on and it's like, you know. But, but he says here, it, it, the idea is to overthink, to think above or to proudly think. And you know, C.S. Lewis, he said this, he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. But he said, it is thinking of yourself less. And I think that makes a whole lot of sense. You know, there's two extremes that we have in the Christian community. There are those who think too highly of themselves spiritual arrogance and then there are those who suffer from spiritual inferiority maybe seeing yourself as worthless in God's kingdom but we're going to look at both sides of this issue of self-esteem in the hope that we can find some balance that will help us be healthy and faithful 
in our Christian lives. And so the first problem that I want to address here this morning is the problem of Christian arrogance. I mean, the very fact that Paul has to mention it to the Romans, that they not think of themselves more highly than they ought to, indicates that it's a common problem. I mean, he's brought it up several times in chapter 11. He brings it up three or four times in chapter 12. And so, you know, Jesus, as we follow him, he, he has a whole lot to say about pursuing humility and um, rather than arrogance. And, and Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew 5, he said, you know, the humble in spirit would be blessed. Those who are humble in spirit. He also told us that he, Jesus, was gentle and humble in heart in Matthew 11. In Matthew 23, Jesus told the disciples, he said, don't seek titles, don't seek position. They were to recognize that the greatest person is the one who is the servant. Jesus told a parable that said that we should always take the lowest place at the banquet seating and wait to see if, if you're invited to a position of higher honor in Luke 14. And then you remember in John 13, Jesus, he took a humble position as he washed the disciples' feet. See, Jesus calls each one of us to serve God with humility, with humility. But this is often not the case. I mean, spiritual arrogance rears its ugly head in a myriad of ways. I mean, we might feel proud because of our spiritual knowledge. Oh, we've studied God's word for so many years and we may become proud of how much we know or maybe how many degrees we have or, or the mastery of the facts. We can also feel proud because of our spiritual experience. Yes, maybe what we know causes us to be proud, but maybe it's our spiritual experience. Maybe we've become smug because we've had some great experiences with God. I mean, maybe you experienced a miracle in your life. Maybe you experienced, you know, God speaking to you in a unique way. Or maybe you've been blessed in the, in the ministry that God has given you. Or maybe others have applauded you for what you've done doing in the kingdom. We can also become arrogant because of our Christian position. You know, maybe, maybe you've been recruited for a position of leadership. And it's like, wow, this, they want me to, to run this whole thing. Or maybe you're friends with a significant person. You know, somebody that has a role, somebody that is in leadership, and you're friends with them, and you know, it's, it's easy to begin to feel that, that somehow you are more valuable than others. Man, God sure is lucky to have me on his team. I don't think he's thinking that. There are other more subtle manifestations of spiritual arrogance that we don't quickly recognize. I mean, from time to time, I've had people tell me that they've stayed away from church 
because they were afraid of all the people that might talk about them if they came to worship. I mean, I usually quickly point out that most people are not as concerned about your life as you think they are. And it's pretty arrogant to think that everyone goes home on a Sunday and talks about you. I'm the pastor and I don't think that. I mean, I'm like, you know what? If they need to talk about me, they can talk about me. But you know what? They're probably not. I'm not all that interesting. Sometimes people appear humble and they're not. I mean, sometimes we tell everyone that that we're not worthy in order for them to tell us how worthy we are. I mean, suppose you have maybe a, a rich musical gift and you're asked to perform for a function and you respond by saying something like, well, I'm really not that good, even though you think you are. In truth, you're just fishing for a compliment. You're hoping the other person will tell you how great you really are. Folks, that's arrogance. Arrogance reveals itself when we may be unwilling to use a less visible gift or maybe serve in a less obvious way because we don't, we don't want to serve in the shadows We want the spotlight. There's also those who find a need to rain on someone else's parade. They're guilty of arrogance. I mean, they can't stand to let someone else have a moment in the spotlight because it means that the spotlight is not on them. They don't want to celebrate when when something happens or another because it didn't happen to them. And so they're, they're not, they're angry about that. They're, they're bitter about that. They, it, it's a type of arrogance. And sometimes the most mature Christians struggle with arrogance. And some become so proud of their being mature that they're no longer teachable. Well, I, I have the answers. I know what I need to know. And and, and they're no longer teachable. So folks, we must be on our guard that we do not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And the Bible tells us that, that God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He tells us that in James 4, 6, but also in 1 Peter 5, 5. So arrogance makes us feel self-sufficient. And it causes us to trust ourselves rather than to trust the Lord. See, it makes the Christian community competitive rather than like a family. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So that's one extreme, is the, the Christian arrogance side. The other is the nature of Christian self-esteem. And this is another extreme in the Christian community. There are those who believe they have nothing to offer or that they hold no value. And even though they may recognize that Jesus is the Savior, they still feel like they are nothing in God's eyes. 
Let's face it, we know where we've been. I know where I've been, and you know where you've been. I know what I've done, and you know what you've, you've done. And so sometimes we, we, we feel the pressure of that, and Paul is not telling us that we should despise ourselves or that we are worthless. He says we need to see ourselves honestly and accurately, clearly. See, a Christian should have a healthy self-esteem. And Christian self-esteem is thinking of ourselves clearly and accurately. And so there's, there's three principles here that I, I think we need to keep in mind. And I would say this, that the first is we must recognize that every one of us has been created in the image of God. Every one of us has been created in the image of God. And what happens in our society is that we usually determine a person's worth based on their functionality. In other words, if we believe, we believe that a person has value and, 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 and is based on what they can do and what they can contribute. See, we need to view people in terms of their intrinsic worth, their intrinsic dignity and their worth. And when I say intrinsic, what I mean is it, it's basic to a thing. It's like the intrinsic worth of a diamond, okay? Think about that, what it's worth because it's a diamond. Or think about it this way, the intrinsic brightness of a star. A star is so bright because that's what it does. That's what it was made to do. You think about the sun, our sun is a star. And it's so bright and it's so hot. If you just go out and stand in it for a little bit, you'll understand. But the idea is, is it has value in that, in and of itself. And we have value in and of ourselves because we were made in the image of God. See, we are worth more than just what we contribute. We all share the same core nature and value to God. And God values each individual as a person created in his image. See, our value comes from the fact that we bear the image of God. And in all of creation, this is something that makes us special and makes us unique. We must never use our differences in function to determine our key worth. See, some people have convinced themselves that they're worthless because they believe they have nothing to offer. You think about a teenager, maybe who's rejected by his friends. Maybe the older person who can no longer serve like they used to serve. Or the sick person who's dependent on others to care for them. The child who feels invisible to the world around them. The person who feels friendless because of a divorce. The individual who feels like they are a cancer because of their legal problems. Or the person who's battling some kind of substance abuse. Or the person who's made some bad choices and now feels like everyone has turned away from them. Folks, these people, you and I, often feel that we have no value. But we're drawing our value from what other people say about us. See, our job is to draw our value from what God says about us. He's the one that matters. Listen to me. You are a masterpiece created by a master artist. Right. 
You are a masterpiece created by a master artist. Some of us are are more traditional artwork. And then there's others of us that, well, let me just say it's more abstract, okay? But we're all masterpieces and we're all created in his image and that makes us very special. You're not loved whether, you are loved whether other people see that or not. God, the one who made us and created us, is the one who decides our value. See, Jesus went to the cross because God loved you. Jesus went to the cross. God sent his son to die so that you would be cherished for all eternity. And you're valuable because God has declared you valuable. So we have to recognize that every one of us has been created in God's image. Secondly, I would say that our self-esteem must always be tempered by the awareness of our own sinfulness. See, as good as we feel about the fact that we are loved by God, we must never forget the weakness of our nature. We are all but frail children of dust. Made from the dust of the earth, we have feet of clay. You know, we're, we're a lot more fragile than we think we are. But God created us and we have to remember that our salvation and our position before God is a result of grace rather than anything that we could earn or merit. We have nothing in which to boast. But everything we have comes from him. Everything that we have. The air we breathe, the money that we make, the opportunity to have a wife and a, and a family, the opportunity to love other beings, to have a relationship with another human being, the fact that we have the, the, the food to eat and the things means that God loves us and he provides those things for us. And so as we think about this, we need to remember this for, for three reasons. The first is it's true and we need to see ourselves clearly but when we recognize our sinfulness, we will, it will also help us to keep from giving up when we fall. See, if we forget our nature, we can be devastated when we sin. If we remember that we are sinners, we're going to cling more closely to the Lord when we do fall. And it'll help us to get back up. And we'll stop looking down our noses at those who struggle because we'll remember that the one who struggles could just as easily be me. Third, I would say Christian self-esteem embraces our position in the body of Christ. Paul tells us that we're to think with sound judgment as God has given to each of us a measure of faith. You know, it's kind of an odd phrase, but but I believe the context helps us to understand here. Paul is saying we should realize that our various positions of service, our skills, our ministries, are all things that God has given us. If we serve God, 
(laughs) It's a privilege to serve him in any capacity. And rather than grumble because we are not serving in leadership, we rejoice that we can serve God in secret and in the shadows. We recognize that we're not serving for earthly reward, but we're storing up treasures in heaven. See, each of us is called to do what we can do. And if we do what we can do, what God has gifted you to do, then he is pleased. You know, as I wrap this up, I want to talk a little bit about a a book uh, by Max Lucado, Lucado. His book is called Traveling Light. Traveling Light. And he gives seven suggestions for living with the sound judgment that that God desires. And and, and they're so good that I just want to share these, his points uh, with my comments on each of them. And the first one is this. Assess yourself honestly. I mean, true humility is not a matter of putting yourself down. That's not, that's not being humble. It's not saying I'm no good at something that you are good at. It's seeing yourself truthfully. It's recognizing your strengths and your weaknesses. See, the humble person is able to say, I can do that. But they can also say, this is not something I'm good at. It takes both. Assess yourself honestly. Secondly, don't take success or yourself too seriously. I mean, learn to laugh at your weakness. In times of success, rejoice, but also remember that there will be times of failure, times where we fall flat on our face. And if you taste fame, remember that it's fleeting and very short-lived. Don't take yourself or your success too seriously. Thirdly, I would say celebrate the significance of others. You know, columnist Rick Riley, he gave this advice to rookie professional athletes. He said, stop thumping your chest. The line, the offensive line blocked for you. The quarterback threw you a perfect spiral while getting his head knocked off. And the good receiver blew the double coverage. So get over yourself. It wasn't just you out there. Listen, everything that we do, everything that we do is successful because other people have been faithful at what they do. I mean, you think about this. I can preach a good sermon, but it's dependent on those who have written and studied well before me. It's dependent on those who have provided me the time to write and to prepare. And it requires a willing congregation. So it's always a good idea to cheer for others. Joyfully rejoice with others in, when they experience success. Point out those who work behind the scenes. Be attentive to those who work in the shadows. Because it's not as it appears, a one-man show. It takes everybody to do this each week. 
Also, I want to say this. <laughs> Don't demand your own parking place. Those are Max's words, not mine. But he writes, demanding respect is like chasing a butterfly. Chase it and you'll never catch it. Sit still and it may light on your shoulder. Too many people insist they be respected because of their title or their position. And while it's true that we respect those in authority over us, it's also true that respect and honor are things that must be earned. Fourthly, never announce, I'm sorry, that's fifthly, never announce your success before it occurs. Some of you might remember in 2004, almost 20 years ago, the Boston Red Sox, (laughs) they were in the baseball playoffs and they found themselves down three to zero against the New York Yankees. And there were many new, uh, people in New York who, uh, who celebrated another Yankee trip to the, to the World Series. And there may have even been Yankees who believed things were well under control. But here's what happened. As you know, the Red Sox won the next four games in a row and defeated the Yankees. And they went on to the World Series and they beat the heavily favored Cardinals. You can't celebrate the work until it's finished. You know, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, he had a student who went up into the pulpit with an arrogant attitude, and then he failed miserably. He came down humbled and broken, and Spurgeon told him this. He said, if you had gone into the pulpit the way you came out, You may have been able to come out the way you went in. There's a lot of truth there. As believers, we must always keep in mind that our work will not be totally finished until we stand before the Lord in heaven. We can't say that we've been successful in the Christian life until we have finished the course and we've kept the faith and we're finished our race. We have to keep going. We have to keep pressing on until that day when the Lord calls us home. Two more and I'm done. Speak humbly. Speak humbly to others. There's no reason to be cocky. There's no reason to, 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 you know, to, to to be arrogant in that. We should let our words be few. Proverbs 27, 2, Solomon advises this. He says, let another praise you and not with your own mouth. Someone else, not with your own lips. So when you're tempted to toot your own horn, resist. Don't do it. Let someone else do that. And finally, I want to say this. Live at the foot of the cross. Paul said it this way. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only reason for bragging. We must constantly remind ourselves who we are and what we stand, where we stand, excuse me, is not a result of our greatness, but a result of his grace. If we continually remember his mercy, humility on our part will be easier to find because we recognize that we're not getting what we deserve. 
I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come back up and um, lead us again. But you know, Max Licato, he comes up with this great um, conclusion. It says, do you need, excuse me, do you feel a need for affirmation? Does your self-esteem need attention? You don't need to drop names and you don't need to show off. You need only to pause at the base of the cross and be reminded of this. The maker, the maker of the stars would rather die for you than live without you. The one who made all of those stars would rather die for you than to live without you. And folks, that is a fact. So if you need to brag about something, brag about that. Brag that your name is written in heaven because he died for you. Folks, these are great words. And my hope is is that you will humble, that you will serve in humility, that, that you will be confident in your value and that you will be determined to focus the spotlight not on you, but on the one who saved you by his magnificent grace. Always keep God's grace in view. And in the kingdom, the way up is down. Humility, service. Remember that all you have, including your faith, comes from God. And determine that what God has given you to do Seek to use it for his glory and trust him for the results. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that it would be so in each one of our lives. Father, that that we would not...